Happy Thanksgiving. We're going to miss you this week. I pray that you would travel safely, enjoy your family, and uh, again, happy Thanksgiving from ours to yours. Love to get together in this extra time with you. If you have some time, give us a call. We're around Friday, Saturday. Love to be with you in some kind of way. We are wrapping up our spiritual Seasons of the Soul sermon series today, and uh, if you've been able to track with us through the whole thing, the spiritual seasons of the soul have really been trying to get at just one thing, and that is how to experience God in every season of life for your growth. How to experience God in every season of life for your growth. We've learned that God meets us in our greatest joys of summer, but God isn't limited to that. God also meets us in our deepest darkest relationship problems, our deepest sorrows, our most difficult relationships. He's there in that, and he wants us to grow for his glory. It's really all about change. As the seasons change, we want our hearts to change as well, to look more like the image of his son, Jesus Christ. But if you're here as our guest, you don't have to be super spiritual to desire change. Really, if you come here, even as an unbeliever, we're glad you're here. We expect you. You're welcome. But as an unbeliever, you even want change, right? I mean, how many of us don't look at life and think how wonderful life would be if only? If only my boss was a little more patient with me. If only my spouse was a little more caring. If, if only my parents didn't drink so much. If only my children would stop arguing with me and actually listen to me. <laughs> I guess that one hit a nerve, right? I mean, if only we are living on a prayer, right? If only the church knew my plight as a single parent. If only I can enjoy good health, financial stability, real relationships. If only, if only, if only, if only things changed. We can envision change. We know that things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. It is as if all of life is calling you to go up, calling you to climb higher, calling you to experience more, but it seems like all of life only has down escalators. How do you make progress in a situation like that? I mean, if you just stand still, what are you doing? Going backwards. Now, when you're young and you look at the down escalators in Boston or in D.C. and you're young, you look at that and say, this is going to be a fun challenge. Dad, can I run up the down? That's how we approach change when we're young. We're idealistic. We just think, man, sure, it's going to take breathless effort, but I'll get to the top. I can change. As we get older, we get a little more cynical about our own ability to change to the point that some of us might be sitting here this morning saying, it can't be done, right? I mean, how many of you have been discouraged by someone else's promise and yet they failed to keep their word again? How about this? Have you ever had the most awesome personal insights from your favorite pastor in your favorite church, and yet it still didn't lead to change? Have you ever felt that change in your life is just impossible? How can the selfish become unselfish? How can the hard become soft and tender? How can the bitter 
unforgiving person become forgiving? How can the controller trust? How can these things happen? We know we're swimming upstream, and so as our final sermon, we're looking at what God's word has to say about growth and change in Jesus. And what I've enjoyed about covering the seasons of the soul is that it's really been one message looked at from a lot of different lenses. We've been able to build on a theme, see something, and just kind of change the angle. It's like how your head works with two eyes. You get depth perception because two eyes can help you see better than just one. And so we've been kind of hovering around the same topic of spiritual growth just from a lot of different angles and been able to build on it. And so today we're going to see five truths really about growth. Five truths about growth. Here they are. Growth is organic, possible, necessary, gradual, and observable. Observable. That's a hard word to say. Growth is organic, possible, necessary, gradual, and observable. Many things to show you, but let's just pray that God would do it. Amen? That God would do this growth. First, growth is organic. Growth is organic. This passage tells us that a Christian can grow, a Christian can change because of that intimacy of our union with Christ. This entire passage is built around the image of what? I am the vine, you are the branches, it says in John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so the first thing to understand about growth is that true growth, true organic growth is joined to this vine. And whatever the quality of life the vine has, guess what? That can flow into the branch. Who is the vine? Jesus Christ, divine, truly the Son of God, is able to flow into our life if we stay connected as a branch. Not duct taped on, but vitally connected to that vine. And this is where we make the most common mistake when it comes to understanding what is true Christian growth different than the rest of the world. It's so obvious that I think we miss it a lot in the Bible. Hear me on this. Every time the Bible admonishes you to grow, it admonishes you to change, it assumes that there has been a new birth before there is to be new behavior. It assumes that there is new birth, there is spiritual life before there is spiritual growth, just like you have to be physically born before you can physically grow. It assumes that. So if you are new to church or you're exploring Christianity, somebody brought you, this is the important point I'd like you to hear. The Bible is not a set of morals to subscribe to. The Bible is not a collection of Aesop's fables for a more moral life. The essence of Christianity is not to make nice people. The essence of Christianity is to make new people. And so... Jesus met with Nicodemus, and he said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again, not you must be good, right? So the gospel is not good advice. The gospel is good news. Something has been done. Those two things are very different. Follow with me John 15, 1 through 3. 
this comes before any command in John 15, 4. And that's what Christianity is all about. There are things that are true that are done for you before Christ ever commands you to do anything. Those of you that love grammar, English majors, the indicative, what's true, comes before the imperative what you must do. John 15, 1 through 3. Why include this? Why not just jump to verse 5? Because he wants you to know that Christianity is different in how you change. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Look at verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. What's the gospel? You're already clean. You're already pruned. You're already in the vine. You already are a branch. Now, verse 4, abide in me. There's an order to that. That's different than how most people understand the commands of Christianity. If people don't look at the commands of Christianity and say, oh, it's a straitjacket. Do I have to stop sleeping with my girlfriend? Do I have to stop drinking? Do I have to stop doing drugs? The other side of it is this. People come up to me and say, in all my conversations with trying to prove Christ, sometimes people come up to me and say, Josh, you know, you don't have to be a Christian to get over alcoholism. You don't have to be a Christian to put your marriage back together. You don't have to be a Christian to be an emotionally stable people. Josh, there are a bunch of good people out there that do not believe the claims of Christ. I hear that all the time. And they're right. They are right. Any religion, any philosophy, any political movement, any group of people can find poster children to say that their lives are changed. Church, join CrossFit and you will find a group of people that have changed into a balanced life with peace of mind now that have overcome bad habits, work out as a group, and now go, my life is so much more balanced now. You can find change anywhere. But if Christianity was only about you practically overcoming your problems, how would we know Christianity is true? There are a lot of ways to change. There really are. But turn over to Luke chapter 11 and see how dangerous reformation without transformation is. Luke 11, we're going to look at verses 24 through 26 in your pew Bible, that's page 870, trying to see how dangerous it is to change your life without letting Jesus get into your heart first. It's the danger of being morally good. Look at Luke 11, 24 through 26, one of the hardest sayings of Jesus. But we're going to read it And I think it'll actually make you sit up. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none. It says, I will return to the house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. Pause there for a second. What is Jesus saying? It's an illustration of a man who was demon-possessed, who has cleaned up, swept his house, but he hasn't let Jesus move in yet, right? And as a result, his house is empty. It's clean. It's organized. 
It's put together. He's overcome the obstacle in his life. But there's no one there reigning the house. There's no landlord. And here's the problem when you reform your life before Christ takes up occupancy. Look at the last part of verse 26. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. He's saying you will be worse off than you were before. Because whatever you give yourself over to in order to change, you are now giving that thing in your life power. That's what's going to dominate you. Let me give you an illustration that I think all of us men, especially young boys, have heard. How many times when you were growing up as a little boy did you hear, don't cry? Why? Don't cry. Stop quivering the lip. Men don't cry. Can the boy get emotional self-control from that? Yeah. He can clean up his house. He can get his emotions together. How? He has to have a greater motivation. It is the fear of looking weak. And so now he is controlled by that fear of not looking weak and he never cries again. It dominates him. can never look weak. You say, Josh, is that really seven times worse than crying? Let me ask you, can a man have a healthy marriage if he can never admit he's weak? How many hard men do we have because they are covering a weakness that has been exposed? And so what we have here are stubborn, I'm always right, because I can't let you know that I'm weak. We have arrogant men, I always know, because I can't show you that I actually don't know something. And now that controls you and makes you worse than before because Christ didn't take up occupancy in your life. Church, how many young people I've counseled that have been in youth ministry who have had pain, who have felt guilt, who've had bad habits, who are living with consequences because of decisions they've made, and they have been counseled by well-meaning Christians saying, you need to stop doing that. You need to start doing this. And that's all great. Reform. Change your life. But you know what it did? It took away the pain that the symptoms were screaming at them. You know what we've done? We've medicated away their pain. We've numbed them to the gospel by the Advil of morality. And now, because they can get their life in order, now they're actually further away from realizing they need the gospel because they got their life together. And Christ actually comes to those that are lost, those that are sick, those that know that they need a physician are the ones that he comes. And it is the Pharisees. It is the ones that have their lives externally together. They're actually the furthest away from the kingdom. 2 Peter 2.20 says this, After they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are entangled again in them and overcome. The last state has become worse than the first. A lot of times they don't stick. They go back because Jesus never got their hearts. So hear me on this. Friends, it is not enough to show a mere to all of your moral imperfections. It is not enough to lecture your conscience. How is that working out for you in change? 
It is not enough to pull yourself up by the bootstraps into dust and sweep your house and get it in order. Whip yourself into shape. The Bible says go after the heart, not the habit. The way you change is not by destroying the old habit. It is by dispossessing the heart. And the only way you dispossess the heart truly is if you life you let Christ come in and possess your heart. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Somebody else has to come in there and rule because your heart abhors a vacuum. You get rid of a bad habit, something else in there to go and control it. And Christ says, if it isn't me, it's worse than before. And Christ says, allow me to be that strong man in Luke eleven twenty one. I'm the strong man that can tie up the weak man. I can plunder the house for good. If you don't like that analogy, you could hear the sermon from Tim Brown earlier in this series on 2 Peter 1, 3-5. Hear this. His divine power has granted you all things that pertain to life and godliness through knowledge of him who has called us to his glory and excellence, by which he's granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through them, hear this, you have become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of the sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. What's that saying? You participate in divine nature. That's the stem. You get to get grafted into that stem. And then it says, and now you have everything you need for life and godliness. That's fruit. There's an organic connection between the divine and the disciple for true growth. To overcome the down escalator. You know what that means? Because there's a true connection, it means this. Growth is possible. Number two, growth is possible. Because the divine nature, you've partaken of it. It's working in you. Actually, change is inevitable. The impossible change becomes the inevitable. Isn't that good? It's all over this passage. Look at verse 2. John 15, verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Look down on verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask what you wish, and it will be done to you. Church, do you need to give up your small ambition? Some of us have small ambitions, right? Those of us that believe the best we're going to get in Christianity is just to have our sins forgiven and get to heaven. That's how I lived my life from 7th grade through 12th grade. I am just getting out of hell. I am just having my sins forgiven. I had no concept that there could be more fruit, more purpose, more glorifying the Lord than just being someone who was forgiven. Now, without him, verse 4 says you can do nothing. But with him, verse 7 says you can see fruit if you ask. If your words abide in me, ask what you wish. I don't think that's about asking for what you wish, anything out there. I think it's about asking for fruit. If you are someone here that is an anxious person and you want to have peace, ask. If you're here and you find yourself a despairing person, 
I was that way Monday, I was that way Wednesday, just a little better Thursday. Ask for joy. Pastor, I, Pastor Pat and I have a fight for joy going on between the two of us. I don't know how we're doing if we're winning, but I, we're asking for it because it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. With the divine power flowing through you into the branch, divine change is possible. So let me ask you, are you settling for too little? Where have you declared peace with a bad habit, a hard heart, fears, worries that are enemies of God? Church, even enemies of you, they're not for your good. Have you declared a truce just because you're growing older? We talk about teens a lot in this church and children. Senior saint, calling you out. You can still grow newer when you are not growing younger. I'll say it again. You can grow newer when you are not growing younger. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, We don't lose heart. Our outer self is wasting away, but our inner self is being renewed day by day. It's Paul. He's encouraging you. Michelangelo put it this way. I think it's more beautiful. It's a word picture. He says, when the marble wastes, the more the statue grows. As he's chipping you away, and as the marble begins to deteriorate less and less, the statue comes out. Consider, senior saint, consider, mature Christian, what in your life could be so bad? What could be so stubborn? What has been so ingrained in your life that the very power of God couldn't root it out? Have you not seen granite in our granite state broken by an acorn that gets turned into an oak tree? This little acorn germinates right by a tombstone. Next thing you know, it splits the tombstone in half and there's a tree there. That should be a picture for us in the state that rocks, the granite state, of what a little acorn germination seed can do to break our hard heart. The limitless potential we have because we have a limitless God that should challenge those in here that are complacent and stagnant. Church, when's the last time you took a step of faith? That change is possible. Take a step of faith in obedience. It's serious business. Our next verse, verses 2 and 6, show us how serious it is. And it tells us not only is growth organic, not only is growth possible, but it tells us that growth is not an option. Growth is necessary. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, are thrown into the fire, and burned. It's important for Christians who, like me, from 7th through 12th grade, were clutching their born-again certificate, but never saw growth. Never saw a sin confessed, never saw a sin defeated, never saw holiness pursued. I just was continuing to live as a self-righteous kid. Here, Christ warns us that not everyone who makes a profession of faith is truly a disciple. Consider Judas Iscariot. 
And so what does the father do? Verse 2 says that he takes it away. Well, what does that mean? Verse 6, it means he throws it away like a branch and it withers and the branches are gathered and thrown to the fire and they're burned. Part of the vine dresser's work is judgment. He cast away false converts, but he cultivates true converts. He disciples, but he also destroys. It's extreme language that Jesus himself uses. Christ says in Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Scariest verse in the Bible, right? <laughs> Thank you. What's wrong with that? What's going wrong there? They have works, but they don't have growth. It's like this. There is a way to grow a cord of wood. Imagine with me up front are two cord of wood. Who, who burns wood? This is a value. Who in here has helped somebody else stack wood? Who has seen their pile fall over? Most of us. So imagine two cord of wood up here and the danger of being in the front row. Sandy, Steve, Denise, sorry about that. Okay, so I mean, but imagine up here and there is a way to make that pile grow. I just add 10 more pieces. Right? I had two cord. Now I have two cord plus 10 pieces. It grew. I added to it. That's different than a tree growing from an inside out real life relationship. You get it? You get the difference? I can grow a pile of rocks by adding to that rock pile. That rock pile doesn't grow bigger. The rocks don't grow bigger. They don't reproduce themselves. So how does this relate to what's going on in this passage? It's extremely easy in a church to mistake busyness for growth. Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? They were busy. But there wasn't that inward transformation growth. Many people are busy with religious deeds, and there is no internal transformation. Church, I'd like for you to work in your small group hard all week, with your family all week. Are you mistaking using your gift for growing in grace? There's a big difference between using your gift and growing in grace. May we not diminish the glory of God by doing works instead of bearing fruit. It's a call for self-examination at this point in the passage. Verse 2 and verse 6 almost really take this cross stitch, this beautiful passage that so many of us have used in our life to see change that have been intimate of Christ working through us. But verse 2 and 6, they just kind of haunt us, don't they? You almost wish 2 and 6 weren't even in this passage. But going back to Second Peter that Tim preached, it says, Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these things, you will never fail. Are you a branch that is bearing fruit? Second Peter 1.8 says, If these qualities are yours, and they're increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord. That means you must be growing. Must be growing. John 15.8, look at that verse. John 15, 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Why is it so necessary? So prove to be my disciples. 
It's an evidence of you being connected to the vine. So it is necessary, but hear me, church, in case you're discouraged, it is also gradual. This growth is gradual. That's point number four. Growth is gradual. Americans don't like gradual things. Right? We want microwave spirituality. Who in here likes the time lapses on the Discovery Channel? Yeah, I mean, that's great, okay? Who in here has gone out to their vegetable garden and every day you look at that tomato and it's like nothing has changed, but you have the time-lapse picture on it and it's amazing. Those of us that went to the Ark Encounter, they had a time-lapse of building the Ark. And it's like, wow, in one hour, in ten minutes of watching this, the whole Ark was built. We would love that in our spiritual lives, okay? We want immediate breakthroughs. Even in testimonies, church, don't we love testimonies where the person repents, trusts Christ, and next thing you know, all their swearing is gone forever? It's great to have those testimonies. They exist. But if that was the only testimony you ever heard in church, how would you deal with that consistent struggle of trust, that consistent struggle of anxiety? That consistent struggle with lust. The Lord just didn't take it away from me. There must be something wrong with who? Me. Growth is gradual. That's where the picture of these spiritual seasons, I think, has been so helpful. It's not really in this passage. It's just understanding fruit, that fruit takes time to grow. And every season has something to contribute to help produce and bear that fruit publicly. There is something going on in the soil in winter that leads to seeing the fruit in summer. It's just part of it. If you want to see this passage and you want to apply the analogy of gradual growth differently, look up later today, 1 John 2, 11 through 14. You have some of you are fathers, some of you are children, some of you are young men. And he's kind of progressing in 1 John 2 through different stages, different seasons of growth. Ephesians 4 tells us sometimes we're tossed to and fro by children. But now we want to grow into mature adulthood. There's that process, right? It's gradual. Sometimes we go through winter where there's not any blossom, no fruit to show, but there is a lot of growth because of the tough times. I've never met a Christian who is going through summer that says, God is growing me a lot right now. Winter is the time where his deepest intimacy is felt. But summer is where his greatest handiwork is seen. But it's all because of what happened from winter to summer that you get that. And we go, mature Christians get that you're in a spiritual season. Mature Christians don't walk up to God and say, I hate it that it's snowing. God says, it's November. <laughs> it's supposed to snow. You say, I hate the pruning. God says, it's spring. It's what we're supposed to do right now. Friends, don't begrudge. Don't dismiss God's work on your vital union with Christ from the outside. Some of you are going through diseases. Some of you are going through troubled marriages. Some of you are going through difficult work situations. Some of you have relationship issues with kids. That's the vine dresser working on your vital union with Christ from the outside while you are abiding in Christ and that change is working from the inside. Nothing comes into your life from the outside that is outside of the vine dresser's control. And he's using all of that so that you would bear more fruit. Gradual fruit. Christians are slow grown. 
You know, you don't build a house with just one tool, right? But you only use one tool at a time. Do you know what season you're in? Do you know what spiritual activity matches that season? Do you know how to keep building as you work through these seasons? It applies for us not only personally but corporately. Christ uses the parable of the mustard seed to talk about the kingdom advancing. This small little mustard seed becomes the largest plant. I praise God for slow incremental growth at FCBC. What would we do if 50 new believers right off the street showed up and got saved? We want a revival. I get that. But God is also gracious to your pastors in allowing slow, incremental growth. I praise God that seven years ago, we got to do a process that we called church planting, not church manufacturing in Gilmington. Planting. Organic. Growth. I want to do that again. I hope you do too. All healthy things multiply. But you know what? It takes time of sowing, watering, producing, cultivating, equipping before you can do that again. I just want to challenge young people here that have gotten involved in ministry. What secular view of the world has impacted your expectations of how to do ministry? What I have seen are young people that get excited, young people that get changed, they jump into ministry, and then because they don't see spiritual microwave growth, because that's how they kind of remember that happened for them. They don't remember that it was years of watering and sowing in youth group where these kids did not get it. But now all they remember is, now they see. Now the lights are on. And they go and they invest and they go, why is there no fruit? They get discouraged. They quit. They leave. And if you're young, ministry fruitfulness takes time, takes patience, persistence, prayer. Christians are not made on the run can't make a Christian in a hurry. It says, remain in me and let my words abide in you. What part of let my words remain and abide in you makes you think that the daily bread is enough? I'm going to read my daily bread, read a verse a day, and hit the ground running. What part of that do you think connects with let my words remain in you? It takes time, chewing, thinking, considering. So Christ tells us, abide. Some verses use the word remain. Ten times he uses it. Remain with Jesus through thick and thin. Growth is organic. Depend on Jesus. Growth is possible. Abide in Jesus. Growth is necessary. Trust and obey. Growth is gradual. Finally, our last point, growth is observable. You can see fruit. Christ said in Matthew 7, 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. It's observable. Well, what fruit is it that's observable? This passage equates abiding in Christ with abiding in his love. Look at verse 4. Abide in me. And I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now he changes it. Abide in my love. What's, what's fruit? It is being connected as a branch to this vine 
this divine source of love, and now Christ's love begins to flow through you, and it is seen really in two ways. You begin to have a love for his word and to obey, right? Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. When the love of Christ who submitted his life to do the will of the Father begins to flow into you, now your life is what? I delight to do the will of the Father. You begin to soak in his word and love it. It leads to obedience. But not just obedient love. It also leads to loving other people. Look at verse 12. This is the commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Bearing fruit means obedience. Bearing fruit means you increase in your desire to see other people do well. We call that shepherding. We call that discipleship. But if there is gospel fruit, not just church busyness, but there's gospel fruit in your life, there should be an increasing desire to know God's word, to obey God's word, and then an increasing desire to see other people doing well in the Lord. That's just part of what it means to love others. How others are doing increasingly matters to you. Big picture, the result of all four seasons, hopefully, is fruit. Only one season bears it. We're not looking down on you, church, and going to be fruit inspectors and say, oh, that brother or sister doesn't have any fruit in their life. Only one season shows it. But we know that it's cultivating the soil, cultivating the life in all seasons, that it will eventually bear fruit in its time. In season, out of season, what's the one thing necessary? Christ says, abide in me, remain in me, depend on me, rest in me. Christ invites you to share his life. He's including you as a branch into his life as a vine. He's saying, come on in, sit, stay, remain, abide. Will you? Let's sing and sing, I surrender all.